You're listening to For the Republic, a love letter to Star Wars animation. Welcome back, everyone, to our Mandalorian recaps here on For the Republic, a love letter to Star Wars animation. It is Andrew and Don back again to talk about Chapter 19, The Converts. And this was one of the most different episodes of The Mandalorian that we've seen so far. It honestly felt yeah. like I was watching Andor at points. Yes. <laughs> it really like, started like it started with like Mandalorian vibes, and then it just took yeah. a real sharp detour just, into like Andor territory, which I love. Let's be yeah. clear here; that was really cool. It was such a great episode in my mind, and I love finally getting to see some spotlight put on the New Republic. And uh, in my opinion, starting to showcase reasons why the New Republic failed. Because there's a lot of not so great stuff going on in the background of the New Republic. I'm not going to say it's Empire bad, but you can definitely see why the First Order was just able to swoop in real quick and then just immediately take control. Because, yeah. yikes, some of this yeah. stuff. Well, what I've really found is, because I've I've uh, read a bunch of, like in the last couple of years, I've read a bunch of... Uh, the new canon Star Wars novels. And what one thing I can say about this episode is that it really consistently lines up with the the tidbits that we have gotten in those novels. Because uh, you know, you see in uh The Princess and the Scoundrel that, you know, the the big top brass of the the Alliance now, the New Republic, they're stretched very thin in trying to you know forge new alliances, you know, convince certain systems to join the new republic we see later on in poe dameron freefall just how kind of like you know disparate things are and we're also we I, I also i haven't read the aftermath books yet but i know that they delve into this as does the alphabet squadron trilogy yes basically from what i'm hearing all this lines up pretty well with what we've seen so far and it's just it was really cool to like take a, a second away because i know some people are going to try and say that it's filler but it's not it, it's like the opposite <laughs> of that because again we're we're seeing we're seeing a vital part of this of this world that the man this time that the Mandalorian is taking place in, and we're seeing that you know there's a bit of tragedy here with the New Republic because it's not to say that they're no better than the Empire. It's something a little bit more nuanced that's going on where because they're they're stretched so thin and there's there's not very there's not enough of them to properly implement the system of government. It's it, the temptation to fall into certain ways of doing things just because it's easier you know, that that becomes a, a problem. And that's what we see later on in this episode. Yeah, 100%. Like, it just shows that, I guess they weren't fully prepared. Like, a lot of the stuff that they implement, it's like, oh, there was such an emphasis on discarding all these imperial ships and resources and stuff like that. But then certain things that they keep, it's like, why, why are you? Why are you? Yeah, exactly. The mind flayer, the Stranger Things villain, is is here uh, in Star Wars, and it's like, well, why? And I, I was watching the Star Wars Explained review of this episode, and they were like, they mentioned how it could be on a very low setting described as soothing, but it's like, why do they still have the option on the machine to turn it up all the way to where it's a torture device? <laughs> And why would you just, eraser. why would you leave like, one person another why would you leave two people one other person in the room who's part of the amnesty program who is ex empire like i know that they're very they're being very trusting and forgiving and you know uh kane has shown herself to be has seemingly shown herself to be useful but my goodness that is remarkably sloppy and it just kind of goes to show that like just because the just because you know the rebel alliance thwarted the empire and they're on on balance a whole lot better than the empire because of course they are you know, not everyone is Leia. Not everyone is Mon Mothma or or uh, Admiral Akbar. Some of these people like are a lot more willing to compromise and aren't as on as capable of get, of doing the job that needs to be done effectively. Also, yeah. side note, like I know we've jumped ahead a lot, but like, 
was I the only one who laughed when uh, Paul Pershing was like trying to, to tell that the uh, the doctor who was among calamari, it's a trap. Oh yeah, <laughs> he was that was so great. And he was like, I'm, "You've got the wrong guy here." It's the other guy who says that. The other guy who says right. it's a trap. Yeah, I just I feel like um, overall, uh, it's just really impressive what's uh, happening. What's happening with uh, the New Republic, and we also see with the uh, with the people uh, later on with uh, oh the opera house. That's what I was going to say. Yes. We get to, we get yes. to the opera house. We get Please. to the opera house uh, that we see in Revenge of the Sith. Like Coruscant on the whole looked gorgeous like it, it was such a nice contrast to the how it's presented in andor because you've got a lot of industry a lot of like desaturated colors a lot of industrial feeling and everything uh in the course segments alive was, again exactly it yeah. feels alive and bustling with color but just because of that that doesn't mean that there isn't like that it's not still compromised to a degree because after bit, Pershing yeah. gives that gives that speech we see him mingling with the like up, uppity ups of like Coruscant uh culture and they're oh, all like empire oh, the rebels new, new republic uh, we i can't keep track, track of them these days and it's very that's so consistent with andor because it just shows that like these these rich upper like one percenters they they don't care they don't like they just want to go about their lives and just be like comfortable and then like they just don't get involved they're like i don't get involved in politics i just want to stay out of it and it just shows how you know there are all these people still regardless of how much the empire's tyranny stretched across the galaxy that there are those people who because of their station they weren't affected by it and they continue not to be affected by it and because of that it doesn't really make a difference to them who's in control and they don't even they don't even like notice the difference which is just it's very it's quietly chilling a little bit yeah uh, oh, I also should are... mention Bloodline as well. Like we, because we were talking yeah. earlier about like the connection with the books. Bloodline also, Bloodline more than any book, I think, has just like illustrates the how the New Republic gets mired in certain politics and not wanting to fall into the Empire, not wanting anything to do with the Empire. Effectively, like, oh, let's scuttle all the ships. Let's not have. Let's have a decentralized government so that it's a lot harder to do things, a lot harder to make decisions, and then you have like. Uh, we see that here with like the amnesty program, which is like, you know, it's kind of it, it is to a degree like it's 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 a good thing, like it's forgiving, but it's also it's like it's too much and not enough. Like where they yeah. give these they give these people a lot of a lot of leeway, uh, where where, they, where they've put them, but they also like they're also dehumanizing them. They're not they 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 only have like droids to talk to as effectively their parole officers. They have they are given numbers instead yep. of names. They give it all. It's they're just still, it's it in. still they're still stuck in the numbers thing. It's, it's yeah. Like there's still just numbers to the New Republic, and then the fact that they can't leave the area that they're they're being housed in. It just they're. It's reminiscent of a lot of like real world institutions, especially like that uh, the United States implemented after World War II and other countries around the world. Operation Paperclip being one of them that was very, Absolutely. very controversial, but it was a way to integrate these people back into society and for them to atone for their, their sins or if they just wanted to, to get away from that and start a new life. And, and it, it's, admirable that the new republic is doing that and they're saying that maybe these people were just in fact stuck in a government they wanted no part of and again i i'm for and against this amnesty program because like i see the good things in it but i can also see how it could end up being an issue like how it was uh in this episode and especially the way they go about it where it's pretty much just like a concentration camp still but they have to do work for the new republic and, and and they want to help the new republic and, and and we can see how some people's certain allegiances may be elsewhere uh which i'm still not recovered from but i, I it was a great introduction uh to this and, and then just seeing pershing back again uh and the way that the episode made me go on a couple twists and turns because at first i was like okay so he's just like He's got to be just undercover, right? Like, he's still got to be working for Gideon. And then it turns out, no, he's, like, actually wants to get away from the Empire. He actually wants to help the New Republic, but he can't 
get out of his own ways of falling back into those old habits of wanting to continue his work and when he's influenced and when he's like being egged on by outside sources that claim to be friends, it just it, it, it turned out bad for, for Mr. Connor Chikiti there, which <laughs> let's just take a moment to acknowledge our fellow co-hosts amazing performance in this episode. Yeah. As Dr. Pershing. <laughs> he did such a a wonderful job. And uh yeah. he's currently not here because he's recovering from the mind flare. Uh, but I'm sure we'll have something to say to him when we talk bad patch uh tomorrow. Uh <laughs> because uh you did good, Connor. You did good. I was very, you did good, bud. Yeah, uh, you, you I were... was very impressed. I didn't realize you had those kind of acting chops on you. Also, but I didn't realize wanna... you had such a fixation for uh, travel biscuits, biscuits as well. Exactly. He really likes them travel biscuits. biscuits. I thought he like. I thought chocolate milk was your thing, Connor. But I guess it's it's travel biscuits now. So there we go. Uh, let's now jump back a little bit and talk about the opening of the episode. Yeah, I found I it very intriguing that Bo-Katan is withholding the fact that she saw the mythosaur from yeah. Din. Well, it's the thing where it's like she's she's not entirely sure. Like that has like because because it's the thing, and I th- I think it's a it it kind of shows how like how big and seismic an event this is because like these things are supposed to have been extinct for years, centuries. And Bo-Katan is someone who has never all really believed in the traditions, the ways of her people. She's all, she's because she has been at the, at the top in a sense, she has had the chance to see a lot of it as like just often pageantry and show to keep the masses entertained. And so like to see something that myth literally mythic and just like it, it it shakes her and she's not even sure like like did i really see it did i just imagine that like i i feel like it's it, it it's a strategic thing as well because she's withholding it from din i think she knows this is a huge deal like the minute that she asks him if he'd seen anything and he says no and then at the, that moment you can kind of see the gears turning in her head of like I think this is something I need to keep close to my chest, really, uh, which, as we see later on, is is very interesting. I don't think it means anything villainous, potentially, because I don't think that's where they're taking Bo-Katan at all. I think it's more just uh, setting up an ideological conflict, really, and just giving her something potentially to rally her people. But, you know, obviously she has to try and... We, we understand why. I at least understood why she has to keep this close to her chest, because, like... You know, she was very open about her intentions before, and she she shared she shared her desires and intentions with all of her followers. And the minute she didn't get the dark saber, they all melted away. They, they all, all left. Yeah, they all buggered off and like just started doing other stuff because they were like, "Oh, you don't have the dark saber. I guess you can't rule Mandalore." Or... So, I, I understand her her reasons for doing that. I do as well. Uh, I'm assuming she's eventually going to exchange that information and be like, "Hey, yo." I saw a mythosaur in the living waters. Like there's, we need to, if there's any time to retake Mandalore, it's now like the planet is not poisoned. Uh, but Bo-Katan ends up getting into a little bit of a, uh, a situation on her own later in the episode, uh, kind of falling back, very dinjarin esque falling backwards into a new situation, but they leave uh, Mandalore and they are intercepted, no pun intended, by a bunch of TIE Interceptors, which was great to see in live action. And we just get a really, really cool dogfight space action scene. Like this whole sequence where they are trying to get back to... I always forget the name of the planet. Palavala, uh, I believe it Palavala, is. Palavala, yeah. yeah. They're trying to get back there, and... Like the ties are following them the whole time. Din, like ejecting from the gauntlet. That was so cool. Just going out and like getting back into the N1 and then just joining her in space. It was such a cool fight. You really got to see like how well the two of them work together, especially in this in this format of Din on the N1. And we just get to see more uh, ways that he's tricked it out, like the ways that like. The, the weapons he's installed on there, it looked super awesome. This whole fight, yeah, and, and we just get right... to see like 
Oh yeah, no, yeah, you go. Oh, I was just gonna say it just looked like amazing. Like I was shocked yeah. how good it looked, and just how I still can't get over the fact that a we're seeing Bo-Katan's ship in live action, and b just the way that her everything about the way that they brought her into live action has looked great. Like her armor, I'm just still shocked every week. I'm like, this looks so good. <laughs> We're seeing uh, like Clone Wars stuff in action. It's amazing as well. Yeah. Like, like I saw someone also make like a Battlestar Galactica reference, like saying, "Oh, like um, about how you know it's because she played Starbuck, Starbuck in that show, and like we get to see her piloting skills here, which is just like really cool." And I imagine that factored into like some of the making of this episode, really. But as you said, the whole sequence was so much fun. Like a a, we're getting to see like a dogfight on a different planetary surface, really. I think the only other time we've seen, like, a dogfight over water was was on Takadana in The Force Awakens. But, you know, there was a lot of cool stuff. I loved the, like, drift move that Bo-Katan pulled yes. at the end. And it was so cool seeing seeing the two of them work together. Like, and I think that's the thing. Like, we're seeing how, despite their differences, they respect one another now. They're on, they are on the same page, at least, with, with regards to respecting each other as warriors. And, like, also, just as I noticed... Uh, Bo is calling Bo Katan is calling uh, the Mandalorian by his by his first name. She's not calling him Jar, yeah. and she's called or or uh, Warrior or whatever. She's calling him Din. You know, she's addressing him with that kind of intimacy, and so is uh, and so is Din. Din calls her Bo now, which you know kind of gave me like uh, Game of it, Thrones vibes when Jon Snow's yeah. like calling he calls Daenerys Danny. <laughs> so which is like that could be a sign of like their their dynamic uh solidifying which which i really like i just like that these that these two are like a an actual duo now they have like a whole dynamic and a mutual respect yeah and there's a mutual respect and mutual trust considering din leaves grogu and r5 on bo's ship yeah which, he beats those I, interceptors and he doesn't even need yeah. an astromech in the cockpit like that's no nope. that's how he good he is goes all out which I thought was again even further reason why I thought this scene was awesome. But I mean, then you right... just said about the gauntlet as well. I still yeah. can't believe it's still just it's just hitting me now that I've just seen an N one starfighter get in a dogfight with freaking Tie Fighters. That's insane. That's the yeah. kind of shit like that I would do with like my my Lego my Lego toys and like uh my the 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 toys I had when I was a kid. I was like, oh, I know. Yeah, so it's just it's so cool. It's just it's just awesome so cool thing. seeing like. A relic from the prequels and something yeah. from the original trilogy interacting. It, it, it's so great to see that. And I, I still can't get over the fact that there's a freaking N1 starfighter that the Mandalorian is piloting. Like, I'm still so cool. like, that is still probably my favorite thing that the Book of Boba Fett gave us was Din's new ship being one of my favorite Star Wars ships ever. It's just like so exciting. So but right when they think they got out of this and and they're about to go back to the castle din notices a bunch of ties coming on the planet and they just bomb bo katan's castle so bo has now lost her home again and even though we've only seen this our uh, castle crease in person for three episodes now you can just feel the weight that this loss has on bo katan like she loses her home planet is destroyed by the empire and then Right when she feels like she's escaped and right when she's getting back into the fight, they come back and this Imperial warlord destroys her ancestors and her family's yeah. castle. I know. I felt tragic. I, I wonder like if when the uh, lost his ship. I, I wonder if those those people that she had work in there, I wonder if they got out or if they uh if they perished. Yeah, the but poor then, droid that uh, worked oh, for her. Yeah. Is, is he safe? Is he all right? Is he all right? Where is that droid? I got I got to agree with you, man. It, it, it surprisingly it was a surprisingly hit me a bit because like it was very similar to like Din losing the Razor Crest, where it may just be uh, a ship or a, or a structure, but it but it has there's like history in there and like they put so much effort into the design of that place, like it felt very ancient, like they had been a lot of history there there was that beautiful kind of like statued uh sculpture on the wall next to her which they made sure to frame like appropriately like her family history is all is all there and the empire and the sith have effectively have taken so much from her already so it's 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 gutting to see her lose even more and you mentioned the imperial warlord which is very interesting because bo also makes sure to mention in her lot in her dialogue that's a lot of it that's a lot 
of ships for an imperial warlord, which kind of makes you think it's it, it's more than just is a it, warlord. Like, could it, it be Gideon or is it Thrawn? Maybe is it the like, Grand Admiral. Yeah, we'll we'll have to see because there is a it could very well be Gideon because there's a line later on in the episode that implies that he may have escaped from his tribunal and like the status of where he is in the galaxy are unknown right now, which is different than what I was expecting. Cause I thought a lot of what Gideon's role was going to be in the season was going to be like that Hannibal Lecter kind of like psychological moments where they're just talking to him like from the prison. And yeah. then he'd eventually break out near the end of the season and be the main villain again in season four. But Alas, there we go. So Din puts in coordinates for them to escape. They escape the ties. And then we don't hear from Din and Bo for like 40 minutes. And <laughs> I know a lot of people were like, oh, my God, because this was the longest episode of The Mandalorian that we've ever had. And a lot of people I saw were like, oh, oh like you give us the longest Mando episode and Din's barely in it. And I'm like, I need to tell you how stories work. I need to tell you that there are more than one character in the show, guys. And like it's, it's good. It's good to focus on other characters. I know. And like because it's and been what, a criticism of the Mandalorian. Saying, like, oh, we want to know more about the New Republic. We get more about the New Republic. Filler. Where was Din? It's like, <laughs> oh my god. It's like, <laughs> but we also get more these about like new characters. Like these are no. characters we've known, at least in Pershing's sense, since the first season. And so, honestly, with Pershing outside of like the mystery and like his his station as like a as a, a cloner scientist who presumably was on stationed on Mount Tantis one time, we don't really know a lot about Pershing, and we didn't, and no. we knew even less about Katie O'Brien's uh, imperial officer, who we actually get a name for. I was going to say, do we even episode. have a name? Uh, we didn't get a name him? for her until um, until this episode, which is uh, which is Aliyah Kane, which is a really cool name. Uh, but I really like that they took the time to flesh these two characters out because other than Gideon, we've been a little bit limited in terms of like the kinds of characters. It's been something of a criticism for the Mandalorian that, you know, that we've had a lot of characters and settings that don't really get names or we don't really get a lot of like information, information that some people might deem necessary. And we're getting it here. We learn more about Pershing. We learn about his backstory. We learn how, you know, he's not really motivated by any kind of loyalty to the empire. You know, he just wants, he just wants to, to conduct science. And he has a personal reason for doing that, which makes him way more compelling for me, at least. Uh, and we also get to learn a bit more about Aliyah Kane. Even it's, it's, and, it, and with her, it's not so much like, like backstory, but it's more just a sense of like, what kind of character she is how she is she's seemingly very friendly she's seemingly like like it, it took me aback initially that she was uh that she seemed rehabilitated but then the more the episode went on the more i was like yeah no this 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 lady's uh she's got she's hiding something oh, she's I, definitely I, I was but... thrown for a loop because we start the episode or we start the segment on Coruscant off with Pershing's like TED Talk thing where yeah. he's explaining more <laughs> of his explaining more of his programs uh, and like what he wanted to focus on with cloning and and his his research and I guess we know part of the reason why Grogu was captured so the force yeah. sensitivity that he had could be implemented into this clone data uh, and I, that has me excited as well because like not to interrupt sorry but like the the um this is kind of a, a section of the eu that i'm probably a bit more familiar with because of uh the jedi knight games uh because a big a big part of the plot in those like jedi knight uh, jedi outcast and jedi academy revolved around uh characters being like artificially given force powers they were called reborn uh and i feel like that's kind of a similar thing that we're that the the uh Gideon's faction and Pershing were kind of that was the ultimate aim here because we already know like cloning has already been perfected by the the Sith by the Sith Eternal. Dathan is uh Ray's father is already around and existing. Yeah, I some people I saw a think, tweet about it saying yeah. I wonder if Pershing was attached to those projects and that's yeah. why he tried to get Grogu's 
I think DNA. some people are saying Snoke's around at this point as well. So I don't see. That's what I'm trying to think because I thought that this was going to lead to Snoke being created. But if he's Same. already around at this point, that because there's that moment later in the episode when they they Pershing really starts to be like, yeah, I need to work on my uh, cloning stuff again. They play Snoke's theme. Or a variation of it from The Force Awakens. And they which did also that in doubles two as, as well. well. Yeah, which also doubles as the Opera House theme from Revenge of the Sith. Indeed. So, well, again, again, people always thought that as a, a, a cue that Snoke was Plagueis. Maybe it was a <laughs> cue that Snoke was made by Palpatine this whole time. That was such uh, a wild time when everyone I, was just like frantically I was speculating about Snoke. on board with it too. That was the yeah, thing. same. I was like, That's oh yeah, thing. he is Plagueis. It's like yeah, because it's like oh, they never said he was immune for sure in the new canon, so it could be Plagueis. Uh, and then who 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 knows? Yeah, Ooh, and then like no. Last Jedi came out and completely subverted our expectations in the best way. Like for the record, I'm I love what they did with Snoke, where they they made him, they dug into him a little bit, character and personality wise, and then they just blindsided us all by having Kylo Kylo Ren just straight up murder his ass, which was just absolutely a great shock. I loved it. Yes, definitely. Uh, I, I I'm so first of all the fact that. We got Star Wars TED Talks is yeah. pretty awesome to me. And, and then we get to see that. And then it makes you think that Pershing has some type of importance in the New Republic government at this point. Because we still don't know how much time has passed since season two. There was the two-year thing that was thrown out there. But we yeah. still don't know if that's true or not. It definitely feels like a lot of time had. A decent amount of time has passed. Yeah, I I'm feel like say, it's been a few months. I'm going to yeah. say at least a few months to a year since yeah. season two. I think five uh, months at least. I think that that sounds the most to me because he he's been here long enough that he's used to it, uh, but he's also been here long enough that he's starting to feel frustrated with his new station. Yeah. And and it le I think that kind of leads to like this this moment that we we hinted at where like he returns to the the sort of apartment block where all of the amnesty. Uh, ex-imperials are like situated and we have that moment where he's invited to join the table yeah uh, and where, then we see the like, lie came there and they have that really interesting conversation uh, mm -hmm. uh like where you're seeing them like saying oh yeah we're really happy that um the new republic's here the new republic way better than the empire but man you remember the you remember those biscuits i'm are there things i miss about the empire and it just shows that like the the it, this like small these small details it just informs the fact that the new republic are out of their depth in sadly in dealing with this and how they're not their 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 dehumanization of of these amnesty uh individuals uh where they where they're giving them they're giving them a form of forgiveness but they're also at the same time dehumanizing them and cutting them off from the rest of uh the rest of society it's le leading to little breaks like that where they're like, oh, actually, there are things I miss about the Empire. Mm -hmm. And it, and stuff like that is is how uh, a, a kind of fondness for the Empire accrues and, like, the desire to kind of, like, just keep the Empire going. That's That kind of stuff just sort of, like, keeps going there. And that is, is, is effectively how the First Order was able to, like, step in gradually and ultimately, like, cripple the New Republic. Yeah. Because it, it, a lot of what the new of what we see in the New Republic in this episode feels like is they're just slapping their logo on pre-existing stuff and being like, "Oh, it's yeah. completely different, guys. Don't worry, we're we're fighting for the good here." And it just makes me. I, I've had this opinion that the New Republic sucks since <laughs> like we started Mandalorian. I was like, man. I can totally see why the first order just came in here and said, all right, bye. We're blowing up Hosnian prime. <laughs> and, and it's just, they, it's just, they're not, it's definitely not. And we talk about how flawed the, the Republic was during the clone wars, but it's not even close to what they were at this point. Maybe like, cause we still see the corrupt bureaucrats though. We stay out of politics. Yeah. Putting a face to the uh, there's no politics in Star Wars right there are those <laughs> are those aristocrats 
We should, uh, yeah, we should direct them to the merch store. Yeah, that's sure exactly. they love it. We got sure love that. a t-shirt. Yeah, I don't know if I want to make that a shirt. I feel like that yeah. would go. I feel like the wrong crowd would find that. Yeah. Um, but what do you What do you mean? It's ironic. I, yeah. I, I thought this. I I genuinely thought there were no politics in Star Wars. Like no politics, <laughs> no screws, no bricks, and just put that up there, and and it'll the wrong crowd will find it. And I just I mm, I don't know if that. <laughs> It's a good idea, um, <laughs> but we do see uh, Pershing being greeted with a case of those travel biscuits, and we're like, okay, so maybe Elia Kane is helping out, because at first I was like, oh, she's just trying to sabotage him, or she's like, oh, that Pershing's up to no good, because I still, I, I had no, I was watching this episode in the wrong way, where I thought Pershing was going to be secretly, like, talking to Gideon. Also, shout out Same. Shelby Young, who was the voice of that, like, Coruscant. Uh, Coruscant has been around, to, like, the w- Wikipedia The Wikipedia entry, yeah. yeah. Like, I've seen that joke the before, and it was, just, it's so fit. To. Also, shout yeah, out like, to Lee Isaac Chung for the direction job that he did on this episode. Dude uh, came to play. Like, the, that's, yeah. that's, that's a big lift to have your first episode be, like, oh... A massive cutaway from from the characters and and, yep. and an episode that's going to be built a lot around making you know making areas with green screen like look really uh look really good but like my goodness this this is probably the most impressive i've seen uh the volume be used in the mandalorian for a while because like those environments they looked amazing like it looked it looked film level with the way coruscant was being presented like mm-hmm. that whole square was uh where they where both Kane and uh, Pershing go. That's awesome. That was so such a cool place to go, and we got basically a High Republic reference, like with the with the mountain peak. I, I that was such a cool thing to see. I just loved that that to see that on screen. Yeah, everything with that, like getting to see that. There were so many little High Republic references in that chorus on Fair too. Also, shout out to the carnival version of March of the Resistance that plays during this scene. Yes, while that they're was so while cool. they're in their little like space space popsicles, like the the glowing popsicles. So that's basically which kind of shows that like just like the uh, the it's kind of a nice little reversal of the um of in Solo, like when we hear the Imperial March as like a recruitment propaganda thing for like joining the Empire. Like we're hearing. The march of the resistance but like it shows how the resistance is is the good parts basically of the new republic the best of it and i just kind of mm-hmm. like that that's reflected in like an upbeat carnival song you know getting to see that whole square like yeah i thought that was awesome i thought that was maybe the most vibrant coruscant has looked in so long um which gets me to the tweets or or twitter Don, can't you? Aren't you so excited that we're finally seeing Coruscant again after so long? It's been <laughs> so excited. Years. It's been years, man. It's like I haven't seen it in ages. <laughs> I know. Oh, it was Revenge of the I Sith. I mean, the real last time we saw it. Like the on, real guys. thing I'm thinking about is like when are they going to like sell those like glowing ice ice pops at uh, oh. Galaxy's Edge? Those oh, it's nice, happening man. soon. They're going to find a way to do it. I'm pretty sure one of the things that they they say is an item at galaxy something fizz i don't remember what it was that Eli kane offers pershing but i'm pretty sure that's an item there but i i could be getting it wrong but then we we get to see a glimpse of of, of pershing at work and you realize why are we why are we trashing all of this imperial stuff we can still use this for yeah. for good we can repurpose it and it's like oh you're gonna, you know you're gonna jump through hoops you know just just do your job like i can't help you out here yep. they're definitely not gonna do that for an amnesty guy yeah, exactly. and then that we whole see him. Block, that was the part of the episode that the, that gave me Andor vibes the most. It yeah, really it reminded, reminded me, me a lot of Cyril's. Yeah, the Bureau of uh, Standards, and then just him trying to figure out, you know, what's going on here. And then we start to see a little bit of tension when he's answering those questions. Very Blade Runner twenty forty nine esque when they're they're doing their 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 uh, test uh at the uh i don't remember i think it was the police academy with ryan gosling's character where he he keeps being asked all these questions to see if he's following his programming very reminiscent of that in my mind uh and then we get to see alia kane be like okay we can get you this lab equipment we we just have to go off uh, off site we have to go off location and we we see that she's done this a couple times i loved the scene on the train where the droid was just following them the whole time 
and we get to see this trust being built up between the two. And at this point, I'm like, wow, look at this new group of besties. I sure hope that nothing happens to them or no big thing is revealed that changes the dynamic completely. Uh, but I, I love this whole scene and them finding this Imperial scrapyard. This is something I feel like we've only seen in animation. Mm. And we get it like getting to see a decommissioned Star Destroyer in live so action. Cool. I thought was so cool. And, and to me, it looked great. It looked really cool. Very uh, they, similar to the Bad Batch, like where we yeah. see the, the Venators on Coruscant in uh, the Clone Conspiracy and Truth and Consequences yep. just being dismantled or, or upgraded. It's it's just it's a very cool parallel. That's exactly where my mind went was that Bad Batch episode. Uh, yeah. Very like they pulled a lot of stuff from Andor, but they pulled that from the Bad Batch, which I thought was really awesome. As they're exploring this Venator, they eventually find that lab room. Purchase, like, oh, I haven't seen this much equipment in ages. And he gives a little bit of like exposition about how he always, like, since his was it, his mom was a doctor, right? Or, yeah, yeah, he, his, his, he always wanted about his mother, yeah, like how he wanted to save her life because of like uh, organ cloning. That's what that's the technology wasn't available, and he wanted to like, you know, he wanted to save her and he didn't, he wasn't able to, which is a very, it's, it's this. It's really well done because it's it's the kind of backstory that that makes him very sympathetic, but it also kind of shows that like because of of where he's his station, it kind of shows that like he is not that dissimilar from the one percenters where he doesn't really care who he's working for. He just cares about doing yeah. his work, which he, he keeps he telling like, himself like, "Oh, this is for the greater good. This is for to help the new republic." Is it? Or is it just there. to help yourself? Is it just to start working on your research again? And it doesn't matter who it's benefiting. He just knows it can be used for good in his mind. But they start hearing noises and they end up and they they end up escaping. They end up running yeah. because they sense someone's there. And then boom. I for sure thought it was stormtroopers. I actually thought like during that bit in the episode, I thought. Oh, there's they're gonna get there, and there's gonna be there's gonna be stormtroopers secretly here on Coruscant. They're gonna be like taking bits of the Star Destroyer to use for like the remnants of their like uh, an imperial a sect of the imperial remnant. But no, that that doesn't seem to be what it what it was. It was a bunch of New Republic officers that come in and arrest Pershing, and then immediately Elia Kane just sells them out, set him up the whole time. It was a DJ. Ah. Can I also say as well, since we're pointing out like all these all these great little details, we got one of those police p- patrol ships that have been on the yeah. Wars and Rebels. That, that I didn't was so even cool think to of that. see that. Yeah, like those things have been surprisingly widespread in Star Wars. Like they first appeared, I think, in season five of the Clone Wars. Like they were especially prominent during the uh, the final arc of season five. You know, the the wrong Jedi arc with Ahsoka. But they also showed up in uh, Jedi Fallen Order, and they also have appeared on Bad Batch, I think, and Rebels. So it was just really cool to see them show up. It's like it's it, it's just it's a nice kind of bit of like um, consistent, like uh, just interconnectedness. Definitely, definitely. And at this point, I was like, "Ah, oh, man, they they set us up. I knew I knew she was up to no good this whole time, and then we get to see him." Attached to the, uh, what was I? Mind flare, yeah. To the mind flare, yeah. And I don't want to do it. Seventies sound effects. <laughs> and, and we get again that great conversation with the uh, the Mon calamari that the scientist that's there. Also, I just love. I thought it was so great how they decided to finally have that formal introduction between Alaya and Pershing. Yeah. Pen Pershing, like right before he's betrayed. It's like they they have that. So now they're on like a first name basis. They're on friendly terms. Boom. And nope. I was lying to you the whole time. I'm setting you up. They, yeah. The fact that they never interacted at all, like during uh the Tom and Gideon's cruiser, it, it it feels very believable, but also like, man, it just shows how like chilling and dehumanizing working for the Empire, especially yeah. in more extreme, because you have to imagine how much more extreme the Imperial Remnant would be, given that they're they're on the outs now. But yeah, yeah. I totally agree with you. 
very uh very perfectly done to have them cross mm -hmm. that threshold right as as they are captured and she turns on him yeah and it's like oh yeah we uh, this is actually a very soothing procedure it's gonna help you out and then not a trap at all what do you mean no no definitely not so he, he's hooked up there and he doesn't even get a chance to explain himself. Like I'm sure he yeah. did, but I'm sure they weren't listening to him. But the whole I've time. never wanted to punch him on calamari, but you know this guy. He kind of this me guy. Want to... He's getting up there. Also, they pointed out that those are like again imperial uniforms, but with the yep. New Republic logo on there instead of the Empire. Again, more like. And then we have this torture device that they brought up earlier in the episode. I don't remember what character they were describing it as, but like, oh, he was uh, mind flayed, and mm, yeah. That was referenced in season one because I think they said, uh, yeah, it was when Kara June said that they would the Imperials would hook her up to a mind flayer, uh, if they got their hands on her, like uh, during the, the series one finale, yeah, because the fact that she was a shock trooper, yeah. Oh, wow, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, uh, so this is something that's Kara been built who? up. <laughs> you must I, mean, yeah. Bo Katan. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, but, she was played by Lucy Lawless. Like I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Lucy Lawless was in The Mandalorian, uh, if only. But she is like, oh yeah, he's my friend. I just wanna, I just wanna be there for him. So the other, the other New Republic guard leaves, and she sets the damn thing to the highest setting, and. <laughs> I'm assuming this man doesn't have a, a mind anymore. It's it's and then just the 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 cold look on her face of so like where do you and think she, this she is eats leading? the biscuit as well? Exactly, well, that was. So I've seen some people women's wrong. We support him. Uh, yeah, no, he's very chilling. Like I, I, I instantly kind of rate her more now as a villain, just to see. And I'm yeah. glad that we're getting more imperial baddies besides gideon because like every other imperial so it, villain aside so I'm from assuming that she's infiltrated the new republic yes. and yeah, she's, she's a still secretly working she's totally a with... like the, that's what i mean about eating the biscuit it was such a confirmation like oh yeah i'm i'm, I'm imperial because there's like there's i feel like she's very much just kind of taking care of pershing she was she was working she was working out what his uh motivations were like and I feel like the fact that he's he's not loyal to the Empire, that he's just he'll just do his research. I feel like that makes him a danger that needs to be taken care of because clearly they stay. I don't think he's the only person who was working on there. He was just the person who happened to be present, uh, who was like the lead scientist. I feel like they're going to have more because we saw there were whole teams of those people working at Mantantis. So we're probably going to get uh, to, to get a look at a few extra people. Which which begs the question of who she's working for, because like there was that whole line earlier about where the Gideon escaped his tribunal, which I feel like is maybe setting up the fact that he was that he has escaped, uh, because I feel like I'm, this was the perfect chance to kind of show him as a uh, as a as a prisoner, and they and they didn't go there at all, and it, and it's a no. really cool subversion, like you said, because we all thought we all assumed Pershing was going to break him out. Uh, that Pershing was still loyal to the Empire, but no, this this went in a completely different direction, and it was really cool to see. And I'm assuming that uh, Elia Kane still has the clone, the stuff that Pershing needed for his cloning research. So yeah. is she going to use that instead? Have they found smuggle else off, to yeah. work on the uh, the cloning stuff since they kind of got rid of their top cloning scientist mind here? Uh, so it, it's all very interesting, and I'm I'm really excited to see where this goes with yeah. the the series going forward, and when we get further and further towards this big threat that they're building up. Well, we uh, know with... that that X-wing pilot is going to uh, appear later on and interact with man with uh, with Din, and well, it might not be Din that he's talking to; it could be Grief Karga because you know he could be checking in with him, but um. Yeah, I feel like we're definitely the series is definitely building to there being like a lot more, st like a bigger conflict with the Imperial Remnant going on, uh, which which we've all just kind of assumed is like an heir, heir to the Empire, like sort of soft remake, which like mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. Here's a question I want to ask you: Do you think that this has been is an idea that was ported over from Rangers of the New Republic, given that that show has effectively been canned now? 
It very well could be. Yeah. It's what I thought as well, because like they, John Favreau did say in an interview that like elements of that show are being uh, like they're they're re they're reusing those ideas for the Mandalorian, and it and it was done pretty well, because uh, like I, I'm still a little sad that they that they canned a show like that, but I I get why because they were betting the farm on on a certain character, and I guess once you take that element out of it, like there's not really a ton of people that well okay you could have effectively have had a different lead character. There's plenty of like New Republic characters. I personally would have gone with Harrison Dula. As, as a lead because you know she's awesome they could still be doing that for all we know because we know that um we know there's a lot of rumors that mary elizabeth winstead is playing her in ahsoka still yep but i mean we'll probably get that confirmed at celebration to be honest i they wonder if they confirmed natasha didn't they yeah they definitely did she i think she was confirmed last year i yeah. wonder if uh had the original plans not been changed if we had if we'd be seeing that show already or if it would be yeah. debuting this year i i'm interested I in like I think probably yeah katie o'brien like i wonder if if she would have been the villain of that show maybe maybe because we know that like the the pirates they're setting up they set up in the pile in the first episode of, of season, season three that you know gorian shard's whole crew they're gonna apparently show up in skeleton crew like they're gonna be one of the main forces chasing the, the kids around who like commandeer a starship so you know there's a lot of uh there's a lot of marvel style uh shared universe stuff happening here with like characters going in and out of each other's shows which is it's it's really cool that they're, they're doing a really good job of managing it with yep. the possible exception of book of boba fett but that's a whole other discussion yeah we'll we'll get to that eventually but uh all the coruscant stuff i thought was excellent in this episode but we cut back to din and bo katan who are back at that like mandalorian hideout that we see in the very first episode of season yeah. three at the beginning which when I, din saves them uh and there's still I guess isn't concordia because i thought it was concordia in the first episode but i think it must be somewhere else because like yeah if it's that far away that yeah i'm, I'm guessing it has to be somewhere else and i love how standoffish they still are with din like paz vizsla hates this motherfucker he's like no like you're you're uh, an apostate uh din Djarin. and yeah well Bo you Katan lost the jewel you're, you're an apostate as well it's like i Which is hate like the that nerve now. the goddamn nerve of this guy to like uh to to trash the woman who like fought alongside um his forefather who was like you know Previsla, that's like that's crazy. Which is so nuts to see Bokatan interact with like multiple multiple generations of, of Vizsla. That's just really cool. And yeah. you know, the, I didn't think we'd get this kind of interaction this soon. And again, it did not go the way I thought at all. I thought there'd be a more standoffish interaction between the armor and Bokatan, but no, she's just so like <laughs> she's just like she doesn't care. She's so nonplussed about the whole thing. She's like, oh, you bathed in the waters. All right, fine, you can come back in. Oh yeah, exactly. You, you bathed in the waters. Fine, you you're you're redeemed. And Bogotan's like, yeah. She's like, oh what shit, am I in a cult? What did I do? <laughs> and I just love how immediately they go from like standoffish to Din to like, hey, welcome back, buddy. And they're just like patting him on the shoulder. And I've uh, seen a lot of concern about that. Like people are like, you you're saying that cults are bad, right, John? Like you you're not yeah, you're not actually going to say that this is a this is a good thing. It's a good thing. I don't think that's where they're going. I feel like. The the whole thrust for the rest of the season is going to be like following the the Mandalorian cover as a whole because clearly there you know both Din and Bogotan want to like unite the the Mandalorian coverts now but I feel that you know we're going to get a more internal look at how the group works and Bogotan is is definitely not on the same page like yeah it's no. it must be a nice experience in a sense for her to have her fellow Mandalorians welcoming her as one of their own again, given how she was shunned for not picking up the Darksaber. But the fact that the episode ends with like that lingering shot of her looking at the Mythosaur, the Beskar Mythosaur skull kind of shows yeah. that she is, she's definitely on a different path. And I feel like there is going to be an ideological conflict between her and the armorer because this is the thing season two ended with, with, with the, with Din taking his helmet off for Grogu, and it, he didn't he didn't do that because he was forced to, like in the Believer, he did it because he wanted to. And the episode doesn't treat that like it's a bad thing. It's one of the most moving, most touching things 
in Star Wars that I've ever seen. And like, I don't think the show is going to walk that back and say, oh, hey, uh, it's it's actually a good thing that they all that never take off their helmets. I don't think that's where they're going. Because like, it's a yeah. practical thing because obviously... Pedro Pascal, he's a, he's a very busy boy, as which we love to see. You know, he's 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 not always going to be available there, and it's the same with Katie Sackhoff. So it's a it's a workaround to like these yeah. characters. Not this whole always... episode, I was like, all right, so Pedro and Katie weren't on set for this week. Got it. <laughs> I, d- I did. Their helmets off the whole I mean, time. I, the whole I time. do love. I do love seeing seeing those scenes where where they're helmeted because it is just that the helmet design is just really awesome, and you mm. know, it just it adds to the characters' mystique a, a little bit, but. I don't think the show is going to like say that that being in a cult like the Children of the Watch is okay. I feel like it's just it's going a more nuanced direction. I I could possibly even see Bo-Katan usurping control of the group to be honest. Because I feel that like we are maybe sweet. we are maybe going to play a little bit with like her past with Death Watch because I feel like why put her in this group and have her interacting with other other Mandalorians if you're not going to bring up the fact that she was part of Death Watch. She was she was part of a similar kind of cult that kind of effed up Mandalore to, to a degree. Yeah, definitely. Because you definitely know that there's got to be some origin between Death Watch and the Children of the Watch. Like, there's got to be some connection there. It's not just, like, a, a similar name. Especially because Paz Vizsla is yeah. in here. Which, I'd be fine if he's just not. Just go away. <laughs> Just go away, Paz. You you're look becoming, cool, man, but you're an ass. You're becoming Sid to me, buddy, every yeah. time I see you. Like, <laughs> I get it. You're, you're voiced by John Favreau. You can go away now. Uh, but again, I, I am very curious of where this is going. I think the fact that Bo kind of, like I said, fell ass backwards into a cult is kind of interesting <laughs> here. Um, I, I also don't think it's going to be like, oh, cults are actually good type of thing. No. But I will be disappointed if, like, the rest of the season we get no helmetless Din or helmetless bow. I'll just be like, all right, so you couldn't get them for most of Let's this. Have a scene season. where they both take it. take each other's helmets off and kiss. That would that's the natural conclusion. All right, sure, yeah, let's go with that. Yeah, hashtag Gro- Dinbo. Let's let's do it. Grogu gets his own Mando helmet. Yeah, like yeah, I love. That's when they're like, all right, no, we got to stop. We that. can't cover the I kid's face. I have seen that. I've seen that cut speculated about that they're going to do that they're going to do that for Grogu. And because there's that scene where Din is standing outside with the other Mandalorians looking on at something, they could do that. And I feel like I'd be surprised if like I cuz like you know, no one wants to see that face covered up. So like no, I don't think they are going to say that. I feel like Grogu being masked is maybe something that Bogatan might object to. Uh Mm-hmm. so hopefully yeah i mean speaking of i loved that shot of the three of them walking together they're just like they're the little family and i love it you know it's just it's a it's just a cool image now r5 is he gonna get a mando helmet there we go yeah we don't we don't know uh but the best guy he's he's been through a lot the poor yeah. fella give him a, a best guy like plating like yeah to, to, to beef him up so he no longer yeah. is Maybe he won't be so you know, scared then. The poor, the the poor little fellow is terrified. The R2 unit with the bad motivator. Uh, but we're back uh, with more Mando goodness, and I'm very interested in where we're going to be going uh, going forward with not only the Coruscant stuff, but also the stuff with the Mando Covert, because I'm assuming next episode is where we're going to get a lot of those shots from the trailer of Din and all those Mandalorians fighting yeah. together. Yeah, because it's it goes back to uh, there's that whole sequence that we've seen in the trailers that looks very much like um, uh, Navarro is going to come under attack, pro- presumably by Gorian Shard, because you know he we, there's also a shot of of Din Starfighter with R five in the in the droid socket uh, flying away from from Gorian what we now know is Gorian Shard's like main ship. So what's possibly going to happen is that I think Navarro will come under attack and. All of the Mandalorians will have to band together. It could be episode six, though. Uh, no, it could be episode five, I think, because episode four next Dave. week is being written by Dave Filoni. And that's really interesting because, like, that could mean either Ahsoka or, as I have been speculating, Sabine could be showing up here because we need and, and Ahsoka Carl is Weathers later is this... directing the episode, yes. too. So, like, this is the if thing. we get Sabine, I'll cry. <laughs> 
Because here's the thing, like Sabine could just come in and interact with the group and not remove her helmet potentially because she's aware of this cult and she doesn't want to like, she doesn't want to generate any friction. Just like Bogotan didn't want to initially, like she just kept her helmet on just to avoid causing a scene. Because uh, they probably would have all been like, apostate, you removed your helmet. Nah, bleh. Get out. Uh, yeah, get out. But like, I feel like th that would be a clever workaround because whether they whether they had cast Natasha Lubodizio both like either before or after they film the episode that's a good workaround because then she would you just hear her voice and then you'd have like an insert scene where she takes her helmet off afterwards but yeah i'd love to see, i'd go. love to see sabine i'd love to see sabine show up and interact with din like i feel like they'd be best buds i you know and didn't didn't gonna need another like mando who handled the dark saber you know because i'd love to see Bo train him but as i said sabine training din after kanan trained her how to use a lightsaber that would be so cool it really would, and I'm hoping for that, but I'm prepared for Ahsoka as well. And either way, I'm not going to be upset because me neither. I'd like we to gotta get Ahsoka. we gotta have Ahsoka at one point in the season uh, to set up her own show because we got bonus points if David Tennant appears as her Yang. Like like yes, you know, get the whole crew there. Give us that. Uh, but yeah, I think that will do it for this week's Mandalorian recap. A lot of. Good stuff to talk about this week. A lot of stuff that is a bit different from what we were expecting for a Mando episode, but man, did it hit for me. Uh, yeah. So thank you for joining us again for our discussions. Uh, as for where we can, uh, where you guys can find us, Don, how about you start off? Okay, so you can find me on Twitter at Donovan Mead. Uh, I post Star Wars, uh, Marvel-related stuff, occasionally politics, occasionally some Doctor Who stuff as well. Uh, we haven't really had any Who Watch uh, these last couple episodes, but I'm still on the lookout for people who have been in Doctor Who uh, to show up again. But you can also find me on uh, TikTok and Hive under the same handle, at Donovan McComish. I actually just before we started recording, posted a TikTok where I did uh, Star Wars, like Battle Royale, picking my favorite character. You'll be shocked by the result, I'm sure. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram at Donovan underscore McComish. And you can also find me like Connor and Andrew uh, on SWEditorIG.com, where I write uh, articles related to Star Wars. We all write articles. Um, the last one I did was speculating about an Obi-Wan season two, and we're all also part of SW editor fiction or SWEF, where we write short stories or web comics that take place within our own little, uh, canon that we've established are, that are all sort of interconnected in some way. We try to stay within what is established as canon uh, in the Star Wars timeline currently, but we're also like not above like taking elements from legends that we like or are interested in and like repurposing them repurposing them for our own stories i have written one story it came out in june last year it's called scars of war and it stars a clone trooper named blister who is living on a, is living on his own uh five years after revenge of the sith uh where he encounters a jedi survivor of Order 66 named Sharkoon. Uh, and both of them effectively have to confront their sh a shared trauma that they have been through in order to escape and survive some very particular assailants. So yeah, if you like Star Wars and emotional pain, then check it out. Gotta love that emotional pain. Uh, as for myself, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Starlight Andrew. Uh, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at For the Repub Pod and on Instagram and TikTok at For the Republic Pod. Uh, you can check out our merch store. Head over to T Public. We just launched it. Uh, search For the Republic Podcast. We have two designs up. We have our main podcast logo design, uh, which you can check that out. Get that on whatever you want. Uh, head over to tpublic.com slash for dash the dash republic dash podcast. That's going to be hard to get used to. And subscribe to our YouTube channel as well for the Republic Podcast to watch us in glorious video form here on these StreamYard videos. Uh, because Connor's not here, I'm going to shout out what he's working on right now. Uh, he and Jared are doing a Battle Scars review over on the Nerd Academy channel. So check that out. Go to the Nerd Academy podcast. I think they have a guest, but I'm not entirely sure. That should be out around the same time that this is dropping. Uh, fingers crossed. And then... Tomorrow, at the time that you're watching this, you can check back on this channel for our Bad Batch recap. We talked about Pabu, 
that was such a fun episode. And absolutely, if you our uh, episode, our season one finale of the main show earlier in the week. We talked about the Ryloth arc that dropped yesterday at the time of recording. Uh, check that out. It was Don and I talking about the final story arc of Clone Wars season one. My boys, really Waxer and Boyle. Exactly. We finally, after after weeks of being like, yeah, Ryloth coming soon. We finally got it out. We finally so did check it. Yeah. That out. It's been a very busy week for us here, but it's exciting. Uh, next week, same thing. You'll see Mando recaps on Fridays and Bad Batch most likely on Saturday as we get closer to the end of Bad Batch season two and we keep keep on keeping on with Mando season three. So until next time, we'll see y'all later. And this is the way. <laughs>